This episode of Hummel and Fred is brought to you by Bodog, Gig Sky, The Retirement Sherpa, The Chambers Plan, Health Gauge, Hush Blankets, Relaxacare, and DraftKings. Hello, I'm Toronto Mike, producer of Humble and Fred. What is there to say about Jake Gold? Sure, he managed the Tragically Hip in their heyday. Heck, he manages the Tragically Hip today. But many of you may know him best as a judge on Canadian Idol. When Jake would drop by the Humble and Fred studio, it was always an event. Let's listen. Jake Gold. Yeah, I mean, wow. Hold on a second. We haven't even been introduced yet. We have all sorts of shit that happened. I thought that was the pause for my entry. Listen, listen. If you had headphones on, you'd hear all this stuff. Destroy commercial radio. You're fired. Now, they're back to wreck the internet. It's HumbleAndFredRadio.com. Now, inspiring us all to weep for the future. Here are Humble and Fred. There you go. Um, please welcome to our program somebody that uh, we've known, I guess, uh, as buddies for some 15 or 18 years. You know him as the uh, probably the, the face of Canadian Idol. He was the good, smart judge. <laughs> hard to believe. Hard to believe. <laughs> he wasn't uh, the orange guy. Yeah. Uh, no, was Zach orange? Uh, no, Ben. Ben oh, no, Mulroney ben always orange. appeared to be orange. That's not what the other judge, Zach was Warner. tan or something. Uh, it's, and he was, of course, for years uh, behind the scenes of the uh, biggest band in Canadian history, the uh, Tragically Hip. It's Jake Gold. There you go. There now. See the difference between just popping in. And uh, by the way, we're going to get to all our regular stuff uh, in a little while because Jake's got business too. He had to hang around. I'm, I'm, I'm irregular. Yes. Yes. It, it, <laughs> it, hey it, guys, um, I got to say it's really cool to be here because uh, you know when I was doing Idol. Um, at the beginning, we had this thing, the idle updates, and I would come in and be on the morning. And for the first little while, it was the two of you, and it was great, mm-hmm. right? And then all of a sudden, one day I walk in, and it's like, where's Fred? He's all bummed. Oh, so. Fred's uh, not here. <laughs> then one day you <laughs> reminded walked... me of that restaurant down on uh, King. King Well, Street. Fred's not Fred's here, right? Next here, right? to uh, the Red Tomato. Right, yeah. right. Well, it's sort of upstairs from, yeah, it's yeah. the same place. And, and, uh, and it was like, oh, Fred's not here. Oh, there'll be this lovely woman here instead. And I was like, oh, okay. And then... Next thing you know, I'm doing it the next year, and it's like, where's Howard? Oh, well, Howard's <laughs> not here. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. So it's like I, I survived all of these different people. Yeah. You know, there was like, because I did that thing for, um, for five years. I did that up, my idle update for five years live. Jake, can you do me a favor? Just pull that mic up. Yeah. Is that better? That's so much yeah. better. So, so Canadian I, I, Idol was on for five years. Six. six was but it? we didn't really? do idle updates in the final year because yeah. they wanted video and, you mm-hmm. know, Fremantle wouldn't give them video to go with because it all had to go on the internet. Now know. I got the idle theme playing. See? How cool is That's that? That's some cool shit. Yeah, man. You guys are like really together. This is like real radio. 
Well, well, don't, actually, don't say that. Yeah, it's actually better than real radio. <laughs> well, because it's on demand. Yes. So you can listen to it over and over That's again. That's what it's all about. It's all about, it's there when you want it. Right. It really is remarkable. Right. Well, let's start with there because I wanted to go back to the beginning. Go ahead. No, I just you started off by saying the greatest band, or how did you say it? In well, the, the, he, Jake managed the, the biggest band in Canadian history. The biggest is that Canadian. True? Is that true? Bigger um, than Rush? Like, how do you well, measure? I, I think they sold more records than Rush uh, in Canada. Okay, and maybe Nickelback. I don't think they've sold Nickelback has sold as many records as them in Canada. Okay, so in terms of in Canada. Which is what Howard was going to qualify with. That's what I was going to say. Uh, what I meant by the greatest Canadian band that's just that has found their success and had success in the country only. We had I had a lot of stuff to get to before that, but I don't mind starting there. Well, you know, one of the things that I think that that is special about about the Tragically Hip was that they actually um, are a part of the Canadian fabric. And, you know, because they write about Canada and they write about Canadian themes. And that's probably what's, you know, maybe held them back in other parts of the world is because they were so Canadian. And I think that Canadians will look at like Rush, which you can't take anything away from them. You know, they're in a league of their own in a lot of ways on a worldwide basis. But but they didn't necessarily have the same kind of Canadian themes and the Canadian fabric. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that... Um, That's my friend Mike Wixon. That's Jake Gold, for hey, shit's sake. Hey, Mike. How are you? Cool. Nice to see you. Um, and I don't think they... Um, I don't think the... Uh, um, uh, the you know, a band like Nickelback, which has sold a lot of records, right? N- didn't hasn't necessarily sort of captured the Canadian identity the same way. And I think you know the closest thing to the hip and capturing Canadian identity who wrote about Canada was Neil Young or maybe Gordon Lightfoot. So they're a lot more of a throwback to sort of that kind of artist that really wrote about their experiences and and living in Canada and being Canadian, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I think that's what separates them apart from a lot of other bands. Um, where I think I was going to go originally, though, in terms of maybe three parts of Jake Gold, there's the Canadian Idol part that people know you from television. We in the industry knew of you for a long time because of the Tragically Hip. And then maybe we get a chance at the end or some point to talk to you about what your opinion of the current scene and crop of Canadian uh, artists, where you see it kind of going and where, because we had, you were sort of being complimentary to us in terms of, you know, what we're doing on demand. The world is changing and maybe we can get to that at the end because I think that's of interest to a lot of people who are using podcasts and are using the internet in a way that us guys who've been around the radio music business are going to see change and and go in a different direction so maybe we'll get to that yeah sure sure i mean there's there's so much to talk about when it comes to that kind of stuff can we go right back to the beginning with the tragically hip what were you doing and how did you and they come together because i don't think i've ever asked you that or heard you tell that story okay so my my business partner is a guy named alan Gregg, who's uh pretty well known in the political world and and uh but always had a keen interest in music was a you know a promoter when he lived in edmonton promoted led zeppelin when he was 18 years old in edmonton and um and we became partners and we met in 85 december 85 we became partners in january 86 so you know we're how many years now? 25 years, 26 years. Um, and uh, in August of 86, uh, a friend of his in Kingston uh, sent him a tape and said, you should check these guys out. 
and it was a cassette tape. I don't know if you guys remember those. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, um, the this this guy in particular, his brother-in-law was the guy who drove the van, the van for the Tragically Hip. He was like their buddy. The guy that sent the tape. The guy who sent the tape, it was his brother-in-law, who was like a younger guy, went to university with the guys at, at Queens, and and said to his... This, his brother-in-law's name is Hugh Siegel. Hugh Siegel is another famous sort of political guy that my partner Alan Gregg knew. And Hugh's brother-in-law said, you should check out my friend's bands. You know, I sort of help them out. I drive the van and, you know, whatever. So um, Alan calls me. He says, I get this tape. He says, and John Paracol was in my office. Now, some of you guys know who John Paracol was. Big radio consultant. Big radio consultant. This is, remember, back in 86 when... You know, he was actually in the business, Joint Communications and all that. Reds Johns? What? Uh, Reds Johns and those guys from Joint? It was Joint and it was Dave Charles, who's now Dave Charles is on Jazz FM in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, so we're talking history here. Um, And Paracol and and Alan threw the tape into the machine. And Alan goes, oh, I just got this tape. Maybe we should listen to it. So they listen to it. And Alan calls me right after they hear it and says, Paracol thinks there's something really here. This guy's voice, there's something special about it. I said, okay. He goes, well, we were going to the Blue Jay game, him and I, on Sunday, Alan and I. And he said, I'll play it for you on Sunday. This was like Friday. So I listened to the tape. I said, yeah, it is really interesting. We should see them. So a week later, I set up a gig at Larry's Hideaway for them, which was at Carlton and Jarvis, which doesn't exist. The building was knocked down. It was called the Carlton Hotel, maybe, or Mm -hmm. something. It's right beside the, the church that's there. And... um the guy, uh, I, I got a last-minute gig opening for a Rolling Stones clone band. Mm-hmm. Unbeknownst to me that how sort of perfect it was. Mm-hmm. Because th- at the time, they were doing that kind of two-guitar, open-G tuning kind of Rolling Stones type of rock and roll. So what was good was there was an audience that was predisposed to like that kind of music. It wasn't like they were a new wave band opening for a Stones band. The guy that was mixing, um, it was the house guy, a guy named Kenny McNeil. Him and I worked in 1979 together as a road crew. I was a light guy. He was a sound guy. (laughs) And he was a house guy. And I walked up to him. I said, look, you know, make these guys sound good. Like, you know, it's something I'm looking at. He goes, okay. Because normally opening acts, it's like whatever, right? So... So Gord Downey walks on stage, and he opens his mouth, and the first lines out of his mouth is, the band hasn't started yet, is, I can only give you everything. Now, from there, they broke into the them song, I can only give you everything. And Gord just did this jackknife, you know, in the air, and came down and opens his mouth, and I went, whoa! And I looked at my partner, Alan, and I said, we got to sign these guys. Like, it was, like, instant. Like, it was... Mm-hmm. Really? And I, I'm getting the shivers now thinking about that moment and remembering that moment. It was, like, one of those, you know, moments you'll never forget for the rest of your life of, like, ah, up until now, I did not know what it was. Now I know what it is. Mm-hmm. And we took them out to the Pilot Tavern that night. We literally did the deal. 
that night. We said, we're going to work with you. We're going to make it happen for you guys. We think you guys are really special. If I can just interrupt and ask a question. When they met you, like you guys, were, you said you were had a partner, you were doing something, but were you known enough to them? Like, they, was it, or is it, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, I had who, been in the business who were about you guys? Four, I was in the business about four or five years. That's what I'm asking. Who were you Alan, guys that Alan, they would do it? Alan was, was this credible business guy in the political world. Okay. Okay. He, he owned a company called Decima Research at the time. He mm -hmm. hadn't sold it yet. Um, but so, so, and you have to understand the guys in the band, um, Gord St. Clair, the bass player, his father was the Dean of Medicine at Queens. Johnny Faye's father, uh, was a heart surgeon, you know, um, Gord Downey's father was a big guy in real estate. Robbie Baker's father was a, a judge. So they came from pretty good stock. Okay, and 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 Paul Angwa's father was all their gym teachers. He was the gym teacher at the high school. So, so, you know, when you when you look at where they came from, because this guy Hugh Siegel, remember Kingston being a conservative town, and you know, and at the time the conservatives aren't what the conservatives are today. They were actually a lot more like what liberals are, right? Um, and Hugh Siegel was a very respected guy who had married this girl from Kingston, which is why he was living in Kingston. And he recommended this guy, Alan Grake. And I was just the other guy. You know, I, I remember I was wearing like gray leather pants, right? <laughs> and the band revealed to me afterwards that they thought I was like a Coke dealer, you know? <laughs> but, but I was this guy hooked up with, with Alan and that, and that, uh, not because I had drugs, but because I was in like gray leather pants. They make your uh, nuts sweat, don't yeah, they? Yeah, well, if you not if you wear underwear. But oh, you're talking about the pants, not the tragically. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah right. They, both actually, um, but <laughs> but yeah, at times my nuts would be sweating, but. Um, but they revealed to me afterwards, you know, we always thought you were like a Coke dealer or something. So, <laughs> so this is like all these years later. Let's but. fast forward just a little bit. So you, you signed the band and you can't have at that moment. I, I understand and I got it. I got Shivers listening to the story that you felt something and you saw it right away. But you couldn't have imagined at that moment on, on that night on Carlton Street that they were going to become, as we were saying, sort of this iconic Canadian, they're like Tim Hortons of music. Well, well that's a really good analogy, Tim Hortons. That's, that's a really good analogy. And I think that, no, you didn't. But you knew there was something special. And you knew there was something that could move people. Because at the end of the 40-minute set, the 200 people in the room all stood up and, and, and like standing O. You know, because Larry's had tables and chairs and they all stood and it was like, whoa, OK, like it's not just us like and these people had never heard them before at the, all. So the, the part of the, uh, the story that gets me is you decided to throw the tape in. How many good bands don't have their tapes thrown in or what would happen if you hadn't have thrown the tape? Well, you, they, or were they that good? They would have they would have emerged somehow. Well, no, you know, in fact, they had been around for a little while already for like a, mm -hmm. a, about a couple of years, although they used to have a sax player and Paul Langlois had joined the band about um, six to eight weeks earlier when before we saw them and they went from having a sax player to a rhythm guitar player. Mm -hmm. uh, Excuse yeah, me. Go ahead. And, and I, and it's, I, it's the internet. You can cough. And I can swear to. Shit fuck. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. fuck. Oh, yeah. Shit Great. Fuck. Okay. Shit fuck. <laughs> so, so you love that. Oh, you yeah. love that. This After is all like, the years on like... the radio trying and talking around it. Yeah, we like right. to say it the okay. other time. Um, Although not too much. No, because no. why? Not just for the sake of no, saying exactly. it. No, exactly. Right? We're more mature um, than that. So, so uh, of course you are. Um, but I will say that, you know, for the first couple of years, it was hard slugging because, you know, it was classic situation. 
No agent really wanted to book them. And when I did have an agent, they really weren't working hard. So I ended up having to do it myself. I remember having this meeting with the two gourds in my office. And I just said, you know what, guys? Fuck that. I'm just going to do it myself. I'm going to start calling all the clubs myself and keep you guys working. Because in the meantime, we were trying to make make an EP. And I w- used to play hockey at... Um, Forest Hill Arena on the Sunday night with all the musicians. Andy Frost used to play and all these guys. And um, Kenny Greer used to play. And he played. Uh, he was the pedal steel player in Tom Cochran's band in Red Rider. And Kenny told me he was starting to produce records. I said, well, you should, you should work with this band. I'm, you know. And they always liked Cochran and, at the time. And so we brought Kenny in and we made these five songs. And, and then uh, you know we were sort of, we weren't really shopping the band. We had this thing where we invited record companies down and told them they couldn't sign them because they weren't ready yet. Mm-hmm. Right? I remember taking Gary Slate to see them. Slate Music, part of the Humble and Fred family. Right, yeah. We took Gary to, uh, to, to see them um, one night. We, and it was always like, well, we'll take you to dinner and then we'll go see the band. And we did like... Um, we played every Wednesday once a month. We played once a month at the um, uh, Isabella, Hotel Isabella. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did that for like five months. So it was the middle of, we- middle of the month on a Wednesday, the hip were playing. We set up this sort of regular kind of thing. Now they call it a residency. Mm-hmm. You know, they, like we actually did a lot of that stuff before anybody actually started to do it. Um, and, then, and then we... Um, and we would always invite people out and say you can't sign them because they're not ready yet, <laughs> right? And and you're so good, right? Like it was all part of like you know people want what they can't have, yeah, so fuck right. you, you know. Um, but 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 a lot of people say yeah, you're right, they're not ready yet. Like they were kind of they would agree with us, yeah. and we would know in the back of our minds, no, 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 they're ready. They're just not ready for you, right. you know. It was like that we should have called him first because you know, we have the opposite problem. People know about us, uh, but don't want us. Mm-hmm. We're ready, but, but no, <laughs> but no one really mm-hmm. wants us no, anymore. Well, that you know, that, that, <laughs> you guys are tweeting. You guys getting out? The no, word, I know right? we're doing the you best know? we can. Anyway, so 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 um, we did a lot of that, and then uh, we made this demo. We made this demo, and. Um, and uh, we said, you know, we got to get it out because we need a calling card to get them across the country. Right now, we were basically playing from Windsor to Montreal, and that was it. And and uh, we there was a guy I had worked with that had mixed up another act I managed. And I said, you know, maybe you could remix these demos and make them sound better. And and we thought we needed more than five songs, so we went into Phase One Studios and recorded two songs live off the floor, so we'd have a seven-song EP, and that was the first record. And um, I had had a relationship with some of the guys at uh, at RCA at the time, and they agreed to distribute this EP for us. And and then we came up with this really, really, really smart marketing plan. And and the guys at the record label. Uh, all scratched their heads. Oh, this won't work. Oh, you can't do this. And so, well, well, we'll do it. And then the band said, well, what do you mean the record's not coming out to New Year? We told all our friends it was going to be out for Christmas. So we said, well, let's see what we can do. So we went back to the record company. We said, we just want to put it out in Kingston in, at, for Christmas. Well, you can't do that. Well, why not? Well, the other retailers, I said, other retailers don't even care about this fucking band. They don't even mm. know who they are. Mm-hmm. Like, why would they care? Like, well, how are we going to get in the stores? Well, we'll put the records in our car and we'll drive them to the stores. <laughs> like, there's three stores in Kingston. By the way, we've already talked to them and they'd love to take the record. So the guys were like, the rec company was like, well, okay, okay, sure. And this was vinyl. Remember, no CDs yet, right? Mm-hmm. It was vinyl. This is 1987. 
December 87. It came out December 6th, 1987 in Kingston. So we put the records in our car and we drove them and we dropped them off at each of the stores and and uh, and we had shot a video and we, were, we did a record release party and aired the video that we had shot in the same club called the Lakeview Manor uh, back then and um, uh, and by Christmas time the record was the number two record in Kingston and number one was uh, 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 Joshua Tree U two wow so when we put the record out around the rest of the country, our story was that, you know, um, while the rest of the country was doing this and this and this, in Kingston, the number two record was this band called The Tragically Hip. That's got to be a good spot here maybe to play some hip. And, you know, Freddie and I played a lot of different music by the band over the years. And uh, I uh, asked, what should we play? Because, you know, there's all the hits and stuff. There's so many. But this is one of those ones. uh, Why why Nautical Disaster? Why do you like this one? Because I just like it. I don't know. It's got a, a, a great feel to it. Reminds me of Campfires, too. Well, you, you know, you know what yeah. that song's about, right? It's about the 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 ship in Halifax that mm-hmm. that got on fire and sunk, and so another Canadian story. Story, so. right? We'll get back to uh, some more hip stories, Canadian Idol, the future of music, and uh, what the hell is going on with Jake Gold? This is humbleandfredradio.com.
It's Humble and Fred Radio. The dot com. Jake Gold. A couple more minutes with him. Began uh, with the Tragically Hip and the... Uh, what were, by the way, what were those songs in the seven-song EP that you put out in Kingston? Uh, it was Last American Exit, um, Small Town Bring Down, um, I'm a Werewolf Baby. I, I don't remember all the rest. I remember the first time I saw them. Small the, Town Bring Down was the first um, single, mm-hmm. so-called single. All right. yeah. First time I saw them was the 1987 CFNY Christmas Party. I forget where the uh, what venue that was. It would have been but 88. Played, oh, was it 88? Yeah, it was 88. Yeah. Okay. 88. yeah. And uh, I remember that that night. It was, I, I, again, at 80, the, I really didn't know who they were at that point either, but it was gripping watching Gord on stage. It was at the government. Actually. Oh, was that where it was? Okay, yeah. Yeah, and I, I remember that show because I remember anytime we would you play those kind of shows where it's a lot of industry, um, there's a lot of talking. Mm-hmm. And people aren't really paying attention to the band because they're just there to schmooze because mm-hmm. it's a lot of industry. And I remember going up to my sound man and I said, look, I want you to make it so loud that people can't talk. Uh, so when they come on, really boost the volume. So it's so fucking loud that everyone has to listen. <laughs> Good strategy. <laughs> we could talk about a number of things with the band. The band, obviously, as we mentioned earlier, so successful in Canada. The question begs to be asked, in all those years, and I think you've actually explained this to me once we were having coffee, but what was it about, and you touched on it a little bit in terms of their lyrics and, and talking and writing and singing about Canada, right. but they have so many great songs, as as good as any REM of the time, as good as any Soundgarden of the era. How come there wasn't a big, wide release in the U.S.? Well, there was. They were actually signed to U.S. label. In fact, uh, um, uh, New Orleans' Sinking was a top five uh, track in, in American rock radio for like many 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 weeks and they had actually I think I think what a lot of people don't realize is that um, there's not many bands that ever got as big as they did in Canada and people expected them to be that big everywhere else yet they actually had a career and still have a career in other markets like you know uh, up to here sold uh, 250,000 records in America um, they've probably sold close to 2 million records in America over the course of their career excuse me they go out and they tour they they you know there was at one point at their peak they were playing big places they were playing to 6000 people in Boston and 8000 people in Chicago and and they go into LA and play to 5000 people and i think I think because they weren't like multi-night arena status that they weren't considered big and they weren't they also never played the game they didn't like to do morning television they wouldn't go on the radio in the morning they wouldn't go and perform on the radio unless it could be all five of them and you know that's uh-huh. cumbersome and it never happens uh-huh. Gord it wouldn't be like Gord wouldn't go just with Robbie and do a song acoustic they just wouldn't do it they wouldn't pose for photo shoots it's like you don't use you don't like the photos we gave you then too bad and they're like well you're not gonna be on the cover okay like that was their attitude right they and Gord would always say to me I want success on my terms you know because he didn't really want that and you he know. and he dictated that right right out of the gate right out of the gate they uh, were not red carpet types right they they did very well in border towns too like i was in a buffalo show one night with 19000 right 
yeah. people. And I mean, obviously, that was the spillover from Canada. But they did quite well in border towns right across the country, didn't they? Yeah, Seattle. Yeah. like yeah. All the, But also, like I said, you know, yeah. Boston, um, Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, Austin, Texas, Dallas, um, all through California, um, Phoenix. Uh, one of their first big shows ever was in Tempe, you know. Um, so they they had all kinds of pockets in and, and, and Minneapolis same thing you know I mean we equate it to hockey towns and sure. people that are like Canadians but then that, <laughs> by, by the way that's where most Canadian bands broke out of you know Rush broke out of those same markets Nickelback is you know a Midwest band you yeah. know that's where they broke out of and Triumph will say they broke out of Texas in the Midwest you know Mike Levine's a really close friend of mine and he'll tell you the same story and we so. have Gil Moore in here we've had Alex Life here now right. we have uh, Jake Gold. Um, let's let, we should glo- come back another time and we'll tell the uh, story where no, he let's tried talk to about choke how me. I choked you. No, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> here's what. Okay, very briefly, for years, here's what would happen. Fred and I'd be on uh, the edge, and we would play a tragically hip song, and just for fun, the song would end. I'd go, um, "Humble and Fred, Edge 102." There's uh, the tragically hip and uh, 50 Mission, or no, I'd go. There's a tragically hip and uh, courage, and you'd go. Oh, no, yeah, no, that's not Courage, Howard. That's 50 Mission Cap. Oh, I'm sorry, Fred. All the songs sound, sound the same, the same. to me. <laughs> and that was, and then what would happen? Well, you would. What would happen was, for shits and giggles, the phone would go crazy and people would go, I can't believe all those things, all the hip songs are all the same. And then Fred would be, no, no, he's just, it's a joke. The same way I would say that during the holiday season, if you want to drink and drive, take somebody's kid with you because then, you know, the ride program <laughs> won't, won't stop you. Okay. So Jake heard me say this, I guess, one time. I'm too many. (laughs) And then, yeah, we were lined up out in front. We were down at uh, Masonic Temple. Temple. And we did one of our secret shows or something for for charity. Right. Right. And Jay comes up to me, and uh, I was standing against a light post uh, somehow or another, and he says, uh, hey... You know, all that, you hear your shit talk in my band. And then he took me and he pushed me up. Well, he didn't really choke me so much as he pushed me by the neck up against the light post. And I was like, dude, I'm kidding. Uh-oh. And and secondly, I'm from Saskatchewan. You're going to want to step back a little bit with the choking. I'm a prairie Jew. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I I'd never and then we seen, became and friends. By the way, I'd never seen a prairie Jew. So right. I, I had no idea they well, existed. Should you ever see one, the first thing you should do is choke it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's, 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 what recommend. that's what terriers do. <laughs> so <laughs> they go into the into the into the wheat wheat yeah. barns and they, they Th- This is it. a huge story for Howard and you just vaguely remember it. You just thought he was another morning radio wiener that needed to be put well, in this place. You know, you know it's like it's like uh, people made careers out of um, out of uh, uh, dissing the hip on the radio in Canada because they knew the phones would light up and they knew they'd get a reaction. Bruce Allen, who's a friend of mine, like probably the best manager ever in the world. You know, mm-hmm. in terms of the amount of success he's had and and taking acts from zero to to a hundred. Um, you know, BTO, Loverboy, Brian Adams, Michael Bublé, you know, he's he's really done it all. Um, but Bruce had a radio show in uh, in Vancouver. And the band was like, you know, we were already at the near the peak. And Bruce, Bruce one day disses the band on the radio. And the phones light up. And he goes, whoa, I'm on to something here. And it became his whole dialogue. Every every week he would dis- yeah. so so we go in and we do three nights at the arena right. in Vancouver, and his producers call me. Bruce is setting up in a van at the shows. 
so funny. to broadcast from the shows. Will you come on the air? I'm like, no, what for? Like, I don't need to come on the air. You know, 45,000 tickets speaks for itself. Well, I don't exactly, well, and why would, you just sound like a fool. I mean, his was a bit, but he would go to those lengths. He just looks like a fool. <laughs> yeah, listen, in, in our defense, in my defense, uh, we didn't yeah. make a career out of that. We made a career out of telling fart jokes. Yeah. Right. That's where we live. Uh, right. anyway, and by and, the way, I don't know if I ever apologized to you, oh, but I will apologize to you. You know, you know I was going to say the irony of it is uh, a few years ago when I needed advice and help on a project, you were the guy I called. We've become, you know, chummy over it. And, and we almost took this thing to something great. Uh, and again, I, I, yeah, it's a big story for me because it's so funny that, that you got so mad at me. I was, I was a really passionate, still am passionate about my clients. <laughs> and speaking of, uh, of big and great, are all the uh, members of Tragically Hip wealthy? And did they, would they have split everything five ways? Yes. Or was, yes. Really? Everything. Yes and yes? Yes, yes and yes? Uh, are they wealthy? That's a relative term. I mean, are they wealthy by Bill Gates standards? No. no. But then who is? Are they... But they're independently wealthy. They Listen, never have to work I'm, again I'm other sure... than make music. No, no. They have to go out and tour to support their right. families. I mean, because, you know, Gord's got four kids. Mm -hmm. uh, Gord St. Clair's got three kids. You know, they, they're now some of them are like in university. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, I remember when they were born, right? Because, you know, I, I managed them for 18 years. And and I stopped managing them in '03, and now it's eight years later. So they've been around for 28 years. And we've only got you around for another uh, seven or eight minutes. By the way, Mike Wixon's here. He's my buddy. Hangs yeah. out. And uh, let's get I, in the in the quiet times here in the last couple of minutes. Mm -hmm. um, what about the end? So three things. What about the end of your relationship with them? Let's talk quickly about Idol and where you think all this is going. Uh, is there a question in there? Well, what about your, the end of the, your relationship with the band? Well, it was one of those situations where uh, we sat down and they said, you know, we think we'd like to have a new manager. And I'm like, okay. And I was kind of at the point where it was it was keeping me up at night. Um, there was a lot of uh, uh, consternation over where I thought things were going in the business. Um and interestingly enough, two years later, they came back to me and said, you know, we think your ideas were right. But at the time, they didn't want to listen, you know, and that's okay. Um, and we tried to actually work together again, but it, 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 uh, they couldn't get two of the guys really wanted to make it happen, but they couldn't get all the other guys on side. And so, you know, we remained friends. You know, Gordowney lives like eight houses down the road from me, and, you know, it's, um, we're friends as a result, uh, uh, but that it took some time. But the interesting thing is, is that I I worked with them till we sp uh, split January '03, but my contract was up in June. But two weeks after we split, I get this call from uh, uh, an agent saying, "Hey, do you want to be on this TV show?" And I was like, "Well, no, not really. Like, I can't see myself doing it." And I went home to my wife. Uh, and I said, uh, yeah, they want me to do this TV show, Canadian Idol. Like, it's kind of like the American show. And she goes, oh, you should do that. And I said, why? She goes, oh, you'd be really good on it. I said, okay, if you think so, then maybe I should. And I auditioned. I had to audition. For John? No, it was, well, it was for this, uh, the, the... John Brunt, who was on it. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was the supervising producers. So it was um, uh, Mark Lysakowski and, and some other people. And, and they did this faux kind of idle panel with singers coming in, and you had to interview them. And 
you know, do the shtick. And and then at one point they said, have you done this before? And I was like, well, I kind of do it every day. People <laughs> yeah, yeah. play me music and I tell them what I think. <laughs> yeah, you know? right. It's like I judge people for a living. Yeah, yeah, I'm Jake Gold. It's I'll what I choke do. these kids. So, so yeah, <laughs> exactly. So that was it. And um, and then they did. Uh, the, I'll, I'll do one quick story because what, what they did you was. You can't do a quick story, but try. OK, well, listen, you, you got me here. Um, but they 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 did. Um, they called six people back. We didn't know they were going to pick four. We always thought it was going to be three like the American show. We didn't know that they were going to do it like the English show to differentiate from the American show. So there's me, Sass, Farley, and two others in this room. And they put us, uh, like, first they had me, Sass, and Farley on a panel. Then they had me and the two others on the panel. And they said, okay, we got everything we need. Uh, You can go now. And I'm like, oh. Because usually you can go now means see you later. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like, well, no, I want to see what because they all got to watch me. I want to see what <laughs> what it looks like. And I, no, no, it's okay. You can go now. And they're like shushing me out the door. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I leave. I find out afterwards that um, Zach, I was always his mentor. He was always a guy that would come to me for advice and everything else. And he did not want to be seen on the panel with me for fear that if they had to pick one guy over, because they knew it was going to be a black guy, a chick, and a white guy, right? Like, that was the panel, right? And for fear that they would see us side by side. So he asked if he could audition when I wasn't there. Oh. Right? Which I did not know. But they ended up picking four anyways, so it it worked out. But he was concerned that if he was on the panel with me, and he was so intimidated by me because of my mentor my mentorship mm. with him all the time that he was afraid of, of maybe they wouldn't pick him if, if he was seen side by side with me. Well, if it makes you feel any better, he was my least favorite judge. Well, yeah, I, I've heard that a lot since <laughs> yeah, the show. Yeah. <laughs> if it makes Not you him. feel any better, Not, I thought you did a great job yeah, on that you show. Did. I really Thank liked you. it. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll tell, I'll, rather than, because uh, you know, I've gotten to know Zach. You don't Zach. need to blow smoke No, I, was, no, I yeah. will. I won't, but I've gotten to know Zach a little bit. Uh, he's actually called me a couple times for some radio advice, because he was trying to do some radio, I think. In uh, Kingston. In Kingston. Or Belleville, I think. Um, yeah. I'll say what I liked about your approach is that you weren't trying to be Simon Cowell. You do have cred in the in the country, and and you always you seem to be you could be critical because as we were sort of joking, you judge people, artists right. and musicians all the time. You were able to be critical and encouraging at the same time, without being you know sort of drippy and sycophantic like some of the other guys in the panel. Well, I will tell you this: it was extremely conscious of everything you saw. I was quite conscious of of what I did. I had certain rules. And I would say this even to the producers because at times they would say, well, you know, and I'm like, no, 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 no. I said, I will not say anything to anybody on this show that I wouldn't say to a client. That was my rule. So I would not do it for the sake of of, um, being sensationalized Mm -hmm. or anything else. I understood it was a TV show, but let those others do that. And I think that was the problem with Zach. I think he tried to be like Simon Cowell and just didn't pull it off. My perspective. Yep. It's like people that try to be like Howard Stern and don't pull it off. Yeah. It leaves no. a bad taste in your mouth. Jake has always had his own uh, kind of persona. I mean, uh, you very rarely heard the Tragically Hip and didn't hear Jake Gold. 
alongside the name. I mean, he has always had a certain yep. persona, and it translated nicely. Well, no, I, I I was really quite conscious. I said to myself that I have a huge opportunity. I remember discussing with my partner, Alan, before that I had a huge opportunity that they, in some ways, were forced to live up to the stereotype of the American show, mm-hmm. and I actually could carve my own place. And that's what and I, I think. purposely did that. When you used to come, and I, and I loved, you know, it was funny how our relationship has come full circle, because when you used to come on the show with Freddie and I, then Fred, or with me, um, we had a great, it was a great talk. We, it was always. fun. It was always fun, and uh, I never could, I don't think I could have had that same relationship um, if we hadn't uh, sort of known one another. And, so and full I, circle, does that mean it, I should choke you now? Choke me now. <laughs> I'm actually choking myself underneath the table. Uh, we got no more time for you. Uh, you got to come back and talk about uh, the future of the business and where all this is going. We want to get lefts on the show. Maybe you can help us During do that. Canadian Music Week. Mm-hmm. Why don't you guys set up? We are. Canadian we're going to. Music. Well, then yeah. we're going then you're to get everybody. Are you a big decision maker there? With Canadian music, well, I called well, Neil well, already. Well, yeah, he didn't call back. He though. did call. back. Oh, he did. You didn't tell me he I, called back. I thought I did. Why, Neil? Because I'm hosting uh, one of the the you nights there. You want me there. to talk yeah. to Neil? No, I'm, I, Neil said it was cool, but um, I'd love to get you. You guys were to be set up there. We're going to set up yeah. in the in the hotel, but just one day, not every day. No, no. I said to Freddie, we don't want to be there every day, like the. But you got to book everyone in advance, and I'll get you left sets. Okay, left oh. sets would be great. That, and then we'll you just know, set up. My, you know, I'm the first guy. He's my really close friend. A lot of people don't know that when you read left sets, and he refers to Jake. Yeah. He's referring to me. Oh, Isn't that referring something? to Fred? No. No, Fred, Fred by the way was my father's name. It's a great. It's a noble name. Isn't it is it? a noble was name. Was it Frederick? Fred Frederick Murray. Fred Fred McMurray. Who's your dad? <laughs> your dad. Your dad was on <laughs> my three sons. Oh, Holy those shit. Those okay, Jake Gold, everybody. Jake Gold, everybody. But that's everybody, yeah. everybody. guys. So, good, good luck cool. I, and fifty shows. That's that's fucking. We're coming cool. up to fifty wow. shows. That's cool. Um, and we'll see you uh, soon. And hopefully, and happy Hanukkah. Thank you too. When is Merry that? Christmas. By the way, it's uh, Tuesday. It's sun, sundown. Shit. How do you not? I've done because I haven't done any of my twenty-eight. I haven't done any of my Hanukkah shopping. By the way, by the way, my wife's not Jewish. So today, yeah, by the way, today um, we're reading the newspaper, and I say, uh, can you tell me when Hanukkah is? Yeah. <laughs> so she goes on to her iPad. She goes no, to the dreidel app? <laughs> the dreidel app. Now, yeah. do, you, do you play Gordon Lightfoot's sundown when it begins? Yes, like, every like, time. Yeah. Every, is that what is part of the every, Jewish tradition? Every Jewish fucking holiday begins at sundown. What, why? Because that's technically when the day right. starts and begins. Uh, Jake Gold from Jake Gold. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. The from the Management Trust, yes. And uh, again, we'll see you during Canadian Music Week. Yeah, yeah, we we can line up. We can do a day that Lefsitz is going to be in town, yeah. and we'll call you in advance. Just we let we me know, yeah, so we'll we'll, we'll we'll book the day that he's going to be there, because uh, he's the music industry guy that everyone sort of reads. And uh, I really appreciate. And you he coming loves in. podcasts. You know, he does his yes. Rhino podcast, so he's all over it. So. He he has great respect for this new medium. And podcasts love you. Thank you, Jake Gold. Jake Gold, Daniel, why don't you give it Thank up you. for him? The shit is going on. So while Jake is uh, getting himself out of here, why don't we actually play this song? Here we go. We'll just play parts of it, just to give us a little ta- chance to shake his hand. Thanks, buddy. Recommend. Right, really appreciate it. And, and check out Adam Cohen, my new yeah, client. All right. What do you only represent Jews now? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> Jake Gold, Jew management. They're the only talented ones, aren't they? Yeah. 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 That's what I said to Wixen when I joined Redfish. I said, "This, you know, you got you, you got this Muslim guy. You got to Jew this place up. <laughs> we got to get some. We got to get some Jews on board." Boy, Adam, Adam played in Tel Aviv last. Oh night. Christ! Wow. 
People always ask me that. Do you have any desire to go to Israel? I'm like, no. You haven't been? No. And you call yourself a Jew? I, I'm a prairie Jew. By the way, either have I. I haven't been either. No one, why would you want to go? Very uh, deserts. It's hot. Oh, and you don't want to go now. You don't no. want to go now. They're being surrounded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, when's there ever been a good time to go? Jeez. It's not seasonal there. It's, no, based, it's, on, it's based all, on the military. It's always oh, shitty. So all right. Sorry. No, hey. I'm oh, sorry, Jews. Nice. You know, I love you. I hear they have lovely beaches. Uh, yeah, they do, actually. And I actually um, find Israeli women kind of attractive. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Can you, Daniel, can you walk Jake out of here for crying out loud? We're doing a show. I'm Toronto Mike. I produce Humble and Fred. If you want to hear more of me, I host a podcast called Toronto Mike'd. If you go to torontomike.com and click Notable Guests at the very top, you can cherry pick an episode and just check it out, see what you think. There are plenty of Humble and Fred episodes to choose from. Thanks for listening. Peace and love. This episode of Humble and Fred was brought to you by Bodog, Gig Sky, The Retirement Sherpa, The Chambers Plan, Health Gauge, Hush Blankets, Relaxacare, and DraftKings. For Humble and Fred, I'm Dan Duran, and don't forget to keep the show going by licking them, uh, liking them, liking them, like, and subscribe.